everyone. Welcome. Welcome to today's show. Today, I have with me Kevin McAvoy. Kevin is a financial advisor with the Barnum Financial Group. Kevin has been a financial advisor since, get this, 1982. So he is extremely experienced with what he does. Didn't even teach history, but... And he's hilarious. So everybody's in for a treat in this show because Kevin is a phenomenal financial advisor, a phenomenal human being and friend. But he has dedicated his career in the 90s. His career took a little bit different of a turn, and he started to work with families who have children with special needs. And he's been doing that ever since the early 90s. So he has become an expert in that space. And that is why I asked him to join us today is because I'm hoping that if anyone listening to the show, if you yourself have um, a child with special needs or you know somebody who has a child with special needs, that this show provides value to you to help you give that person the very best quality of life. Kevin has been doing this, like I said, for probably 30 years at this point. So he is going to tell us everything that those families need to know. So Kevin, welcome to today's show. Thank you for that grand introduction. Well, I'm going to have to live up to this. <laughs> My pleasure. The path might be interesting. Just simply talking about how this all came together. Yes. In the 90s, the Division of Estate Planning for Special Kids was started at MetLife. And it was Division the, of the Estate Planning for, for Special, special kids. kids. Okay. Was the, the first organization dedicated to this unique community, recognizing that there's a whole host of folks who are just unserved. They don't get good answers and they have very complex questions. It evolved into the Center for Special Needs Planning at the Barnum Financial Group, based on a shared vision of having resources deep enough to deal with the complexities of the problems that some of these families face. And these are unique complexities and unique issues that they look at. Um, we, we also wanted to be able to think about it from a different perspective. I have a title of special care planner at Mass Mutual, which is the only national organization with a division devoted to this community. Sure. The thought process is very clear that we want to have folks that are uniquely touched by this equation and, and, yep. and intersecting this world. Yep. And we brought about this something called life care planning. It was one of the things that truly made it us change from special needs planning from being an art to a science. And that's truly what I think made a, a lot of difference in how we were able to evolve these things. I want to hear about the life care planning, because that's what you educate so many folks about. Mm -hmm. Kevin hosts virtual workshops and person workshops. That's really how he built his career is just educating families on what a life care plan is. But before we get to that, Kevin, we are not literally talking about special needs children, meaning under 18. Right. Well, well, again, especially these planning is, is about the kids in our hearts, mm -hmm. but it's truly about caregivers. Correct. Because, I mean, who is the person that makes a difference in that person's life? Who gets up, thinks about all the details? There's okay. somebody who supplements them, yes. allows them to live a quality of life that they could not live without that person. The reality of this is that that person won't promise me that they will live forever. That's the challenge is that the caregiver, I mean, a caregiver will crawl across broken glass on their hands and knees to get an extra hour of therapy for a yeah. son or daughter or sometimes a sibling. Sure. It's another set of challenges that it's not always children any longer, but as our families get older, it's siblings who should step into that responsibility. How do we prepare for them? How do we make it such that they, they can step into the role? Mm -hmm. And that's really where it gets more difficult. I have an older brother with a bipolar 
bipolar disorder. That's sort of where I learned a little bit about this world and learned to walk the walk. The most important question was always, what is my mom going to do when, when mom can no longer give help? How can we build structure around my brother so that he might be able to still live a quality of life beyond when mom and dad are there to take care of them? Yeah. And then what are the tools that we're going to need in order to, 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 to provide that care? Is that why you made the switch in the 90s? Is that why you took an interest? Well, again, our passion has always been caregivers yeah. and the ability to transfer care across, across multi-generations without successor family members becoming burdened caregivers. Because, again, you can say that, will you help me? My son, my, my daughter, will they help with their brother, their sister? The answer would be yes. But then the next question is, well, what does the job look like? Yeah. And you've got to give definition. Definition of help can be very different Broad, from yeah. person to person. Exactly. And that therefore in the ability. And then also when you quite often when you make these promises that I'm going to help, maybe it's before you had a family of your own and some of the other challenges that you must face. Correct. Great point. <laughs> How things change over time. Exactly. So if we can kind of recognize that if we can move folks through this process into a recognition that they need some unique equations of help in order to make this work. Yeah. And that's where life care planning came into play. And you don't ever think about that, that we're, we're talking about, of course, children, adolescents, of course, but when those children grow up and it possibly becomes a sibling's responsibility to take that over. <laughs> Sibling relationships are complicated as it is, but to add this dynamic on top of it, going at something like this without a plan or without guidance, I can't even imagine what those well, siblings Quite often, too, the sibling gets promoted to the role of trustee. Yeah. And that's a very different equation. And now suddenly you are responsible for interacting with finances. I don't want to have distributions that are incorrect. that could disqualify a person from community-based resources. There's a host of responsibilities. And yeah. most of the job description comes with one word. Do you love your brother? Do you love your sister? Are you willing to help? Yes. Yeah. Now can we fill in the gaps? Yeah. But there's a lot of gaps and we're going to go through them. Sure. It's what Kevin refers to as a life care plan. Yes. So Kevin, tell us what it is. Life care planning is a coordinated process of future care planning where we integrate uh, legal, financial, insurance, tax, investment, and, and eligibility criteria. It's something that's customized to every family's unique situation, but it's also something that's, that's, that's crafted over a lifetime. It's not a single event, but a series of strategies broken down into actionable steps, which we will walk together. Okay. Step one, addressing the primary issues. Well, the primary issues are the who, what, when, and where. Who's going to be there available for help? Who can be a resource? What resources are going to be available? How are those things? You know, is there a 401k? Is there insurance available to fund the trust? Is, is, is there a house going to be available? Is housing one of the things that a family member is going to provide? And is this something families are documenting with you? Like we're keeping it all in, in kind of like a financial vault to keep it safe and organized? Part of the equation when we move into a financial planning relationship with families is the e-money platform. Ability to say that, number one, I want to have my trustee, successor, daughter, son, who's going to be taking care of their brother, understand where the money is. What are the things that are going to be available? So the e-money platform allows us to have that complete access without, it's not a transactional platform, yeah. so You're, your son-in-law can't take your money. Yeah. But at the same point, they can know where it is the assets might be. Yes. And typically in those situations, you're stressed enough to try to think about where's this, where's that policy, what's this password, like all of that is stressful. So what you're doing with the family is just gathering everything in one location with key folks knowing how to get access to it. 
And the other side was that the vault, that there's an electronic vault embedded there, legal documents we put there, detailed information about the financial plan. And there's also something we'll discuss maybe in a minute called the letter of intent. Maybe the best way to think of it is um, if indeed you were going to go out for dinner and you're going to say to a babysitter, these are the things I want you to be, you know, I'm concerned about this kind of behavior. Watch out for this sort. Don't let them eat this. If they see this go on, this is something you have to be very cautious about. You give preparation information for, for a caregiver. If you think, expand that mindset into if I'm not coming back, if tomorrow afternoon, it wasn't going to be just for the afternoon, but I'm not going to come back. What information would successor caregivers give? And the letter of intent allows us to catalog that. And then it serves again to inform, to inform the legal and inform the financial, because those are quite often flat. Yes. They're, they're just numbers or they're just legal structure. Yes. They're not what it is that mom and dad knew and, and the successor caregiver needs to know in order to do their job. So we're getting, like you said here, uh, the primary issues, the basics, we're getting all of that out on paper, documented, and in one organized place. It's also a little further to think about housing. Is this the right state? I mean, sure. some states are not the place to be. Sure. You know, the, the circumstances are different. Where is it that the, that the family members are going to be who are going to provide care? And then also recognizing in the heart of every special needs caregiver is the thought that they don't know what's going to happen when they're gone. And they know that nobody on earth is going to do the amount of, of effort that they no do in order to, do the job to, like to bring that do. quality of life together. Yeah. So therefore, quite often, it'll put them in a, or they'll just be in, in stasis. They'll be afraid to move. And so they'll just be hoping. Yeah. Ironically, they almost hope that God would take the both of them at the same day. That would be the yeah. perfect plan. But the other reality is, is that because of the wonders of modern medicine, especially these family members are going to have long life expectancies, decades after mom and dad have passed. And therefore, the ability to transfer those care responsibilities become for a while. So that gets us into a great segue into the next part of the plan, which is the life care plan vision. We talk to, to families, they share with me that vision of what they think is going to happen over the long run. You know, where is it and how is it they're going to get care? They have to look deeply at what it is they've done, what has not worked in the past, what are, what are the unique requirements and, and skill sets that are going to be necessary for the different players in this equation, and how do we build a village around that person with challenges mm-hmm. that, and recognizing that nobody's going to do what the original caregiving st- uh, structure would, would work. So if we can get more folks folks involved, the ability to say that the job is easier, the more hands in the equation. So they are truly envisioning what the future of their dependents future looks like. They're trying to put down on paper who they think would be involved and what the next X number of years would look like. It's also the most difficult, maybe, because, again, it's so hard. So many caregivers live on a day to day basis. They do exactly what they needed to get through today. And the day is full. Therefore, what I'm asking them to do is kind of look up from the challenges of day-to-day life into a different, very difficult and, and unclear future. But we have to look clearly into that equation in a way to say, what can we see that mom and dad saw? What can we recognize that they have or have in terms of understanding how that person's capabilities might evolve? And how can then we augment, do the things that we, we might be able to do in order to make it possible for that quality of life to continue? Yep. When you do the vision, again, is it documented? Is it a conversation? What does that tactically look like? With quite the often it's conversational. Because again, quite often that happens in our first conversation. 
conversation. It's separate from the financial. It's really about peering deeply is the best way to describe it and asking the questions. What if, you know, who, instead of it just being, you know, yes, my son is going to help. What resources does he have? Does he understand the name of the future of the job? I was just going to say in this part of the plan, I would imagine, Kevin, the clients are dependent on you probing and asking questions. Do you find that you're asking questions that maybe at this stage people have not thought of just yet? That, that will be part of it. But there's another reality that once you ask these families and these caregivers exactly what it is is on their minds, they will tell you. They got it. And then they're going to, they, they live They've it. been thinking about this. Exactly. They yeah, may not have all the details, but they know yeah, that but there's, they know. there's areas in which I... I if you think about what they, if they were, if their son or daughter was going to go to school, what are they going to go to a normal school day? They're going to make sure the lunch is packed, the rides are taken yeah. care of, who's going to be there, yeah, what what true. are the resources in the school system that are going to be available? That's true. What are, you know, all those, every minute is planned. It's, it's uh, what is the word for helicopter parents? Yes. Like, think, think in terms of making sure that every single thing, well, these are Zamboni parents, <laughs> where again, they want to smooth out the ice Zamboni before you parents. even get yeah. to it. But the, the harsh reality is, much longer amount of time. Yes. And it, and it also both themselves, the parents and the special needs person are going to evolve as well. Yeah. So it's a changing landscape that we must be constantly attentive to, but it's been on their minds and they just so often they've talked to financial people who have kind of skipped would, past this. I would imagine it's a relief for them because it's probably been on their mind for so long. They now get to get it out, get it on paper. That must be a little bit of relief for them. What's well, cathartic? Yeah. You know, again, it, it's something that's been entrapped and suddenly they, yes. but that also when they start putting it in detail, they start realizing that there's holes in it. That there's things that are not going to be able to be capable in that equation as we've structured it so far. As we go back to that first step and look at what are the resources, what are the op- what are the things that have what have you done already? Yeah. That therefore combining that vision of what mom and dad and or caregiver would like to see happen yeah. and the realities of what is financially capable, what is available in the community-based resources, how is it that family members can be of assistance and in the the word I always use is village. I build a village. Yeah. There's an autism group that runs, does a walk each and every year, uh, the Connecticut Center for Autism Services. And their walk's been going on for 20, 30 years. It's one of, one of the most powerful things I've ever seen is that in the walk, all the families get together and everybody wears similar shirts like they're on a team. Yeah. So there'll be eight, five, ten family members walking with the person with challenges. That's the vision. If indeed we can remanufacture that so that each one of them walking members has a role, but neither one of them have a, a role in which they're they're going to be floored by that role, but yeah. rather by sharing that role and recognizing that the goal is the quality of life for a person who can't have it without them. Which is a great, another great segue into the third part of the plan, which is guardianship. Guardianship is probably the most uh, difficult of decisions, especially for higher function young adults, where they have the capabilities of managing a lot of their, their own personal lifestyles and finances. Yeah. Guardianship means that I can't make decisions for myself. Yeah. And that therefore, that's the truth of a lot of police. But the other realities is that family members with with challenges quite often are very trusting and that therefore in that element of trust that they become subject to predation 
And again, their trusting nature might allow somebody to talk them out of their paycheck on a, on a weekly basis, just because that nature. Therefore, there's a first thought is that when a person has dramatic challenges, then there's no question guardianship or conservatorship. I'm going to make all their decisions for them. It's the other higher function young, young adults and, and family members who have the capabilities. But how is it that we might respond differently? And that because guardianship is emasculating. It says, yeah. I'm not. You yes. cannot have yeah. that capability. It might be something where a power of attorney might be enough to give you the capabilities to interact and, with an adult who uh, may not be recognizing that they're, they're in a, situa- a situation where they could be in danger. So is the main question at this phase, who is the guardian over this person? Are they fit to make decisions for themselves or are we appointing somebody? It usually happens, obviously, before 18, it's always mom and dad. It's just by a natural. It's at the 18th birthday when a person is considered capable. Yes. The law looks at them and says, hey, you're 18 years old. You can make your own decisions. Yes. That's when mom and dad must go to a to the probate courts and say, look, it, my son or daughter has these challenges. We want to be able to take responsibilities from them so that they don't, they're not going to endanger themselves. Or if indeed I'm a higher functioning adult to say, I'm going to have a power of attorney structure set up so that if indeed we see there's issues. An example would be one of my client's sons uh, um, had a girlfriend who set up a a, a, a a charge account at a jewelry store on his name, you know, and he thought it was a great idea. And so I didn't tell his, his mom and dad had the right documents to go in and say, no, we're going to void that contract. It's not going to be in, in, in effect. But these are the realities of what happens in these families. Oh, but again, how do we create the authority to give assistance, but at the same time, blend protection without being completely emasculating yes. where, where, where they lose everybody all their forms can, of self-determination. Everybody can keep their dignity. That's yes. what that's what we're trying to do. Great. You mentioned that autism walk. So the next phase is identifying resources that can help these families. Yeah. It's a lifetime project because, again, as the resources evolve, again, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. COVID wiped out almost all they had. You were eligible for it, but there was no services being provided. There just was no help to do it. And then even if you can get a a tremendous amount of community-based resources put together, you still have to, you know, these families have whiteboards in which they're essentially managing a group of employees. Therefore, it's it's full-time work all by itself. So, so therefore, if indeed we can blend all these things into a, into an integrated whole and, and recognizing there's going to have to be ongoing intersection with additional opportunities going forward as, as the person changes, the community-based resources changes, eligibility criteria changes, yeah. and the family changing. members. This yeah. is an ever-changing part of the plan, yes. I would imagine. Yes. The good thing is, though, is there are a ton of resources available if you know where to find them and how to apply, right? Two words. A ton. Yes, they are. Are they difficult to find? Yes. Are yeah. difficult to manage eligibility? Yes. Yeah. And then you take it back to that original vision of that person caring for another person. They, they, you know, they might sit up in the middle of the night and try to do some research, at, but it's very difficult. And therefore, the idea that they're going to be able to find those things. And so it's quite often it's networking. Being able to go, I mean, when we do our groups, it's always at parent group meetings where, you know, I'll make a statement Everybody or statement. Sure. Somebody on the back will make a statement that, you know, no, Kevin, that's not how it worked for me. Mm-hmm. And then all of us learn something in that equation yes. about how to create structure in, in situations where people yes, get denied. Yes, you're bringing everybody together. It's, yeah. The next part of the plan when you talk about difficult is managing costs. Well, again, we always look about, 
you know, what are the resources that might be available to a person? What is an overall financial picture of mom and dad? Has anybody ever talked with them about their retirement planning? How's their retirement planning going to look when I add one additional person who's going to be dependent and then additionally recognizing I'm going to need care to go beyond 20, 30 years beyond that capability? Yeah. You know, how do we analyze the detailed expenses and income sources that are going on in this person's world? And then be able to move backwards from there. Yeah. But again, long-term care. So it's the carnivore of special needs trusts. If indeed we haven't recognized the impact of this, this risk, it's just something that we've got to, got to look at in a very, very distinct microscope. Is there an inheritance coming this way? The inheritance of it's headed to the wrong direction where grandma and her generosity says, I'm going to leave money directly to my grandson or granddaughter with, with challenges, not realizing that that's going to disqualify them from the community-based resources they work so hard to get to. You don't know what you don't know. And the benefit of doing this life care plan early, I would think Mm -hmm. is for this reason, step five is so you could plan to allocate these costs and just plan for what this is going to entail. Also what happened in in a litigation situation where there's a large settlement and it seems like, well, there'll be plenty. But again, recognizing first and quite often the the state of Connecticut has a lien on that resource so that anything that's left over at the end of that person's life is they're going to get payback for the Medicaid payout. And then also the reality is, is that now we have to recognize that these are the capabilities we have. But like all things financial, it's, there's limitations. And again, what you may see in your heart, it may not be possible from your wallet. And we've got to measure those two things. Yeah. Step six, which you touched on a little bit, is that letter of intent. That letter of intent, again, maybe is vitally important. And it's one of the things, in fact, I offer any of your listeners, just give me a call, send me an email, I'll send you an outline for one. It's something that everybody must do. And, but again, it costs nothing. It's just information. Maybe the best reality check is when I was thinking that I did not know if I had ever had chicken pox. I had to ask my mom. If you don't have your mom, you lose a whole lot of medical data all of a sudden. So therefore, the letter of intent helps to define those things. More importantly, the letter of intent you think of it as a, an owner's manual to the car. Yeah. So it says, it's got, there's a, the check engine light goes on. I can go to the owner's manual, look at, oh, these are the reactions I must have in order to, to recognize that issue. But if the owner's manual is from the car he had three day, three cars ago, it's not going to be gonna useful. Work. So having it, and again, in our planning, Updating we, it. in our planning, we try to have that be one of the pieces that's constantly updated and added to their electronic vault in our, in our financial planning software. Get this data because the successor family members are really going to need it. They're going to look for it. One of the things that family, every sibling brothers, they ask me, what are we going to do when mom and dad are gone? That's the question. What are we going to do? And that therefore, we must provide definition to that answer. Which is what this plan is. Um, legal documents. Ironically, I've been doing this forever and I can't say that there's 20 attorneys in the state of Connecticut who I would say really know what they're doing. Okay. You know, it's just, again, it's just said they, many of them give the impression that they do this, but they only write one or two of them a year. And oh, wow. the reality is, is that this is maybe the most important document that's out of it got to be written. What document? One or two of what are you? Well, I'm sorry, but uh, the concept of a special needs trust. Okay. Again, special needs trust is not a new idea. It was invented in the, in the, uh, 90s. It was a Obra, a Obra legislation 
brought about and said essentially that a person with challenges can have assets that are available to them that will not disqualify them from community-based resources if drafted correctly. So therefore, the idea to say, could we have a holding tank for assets so that this person might be able to access help in the community? But the community-based resources only come to people who are destitute. You have to have been broke and have been broke for the last three to five years. So therefore, that reality bumps clearly against what it is mom and a dad or a successor caregiver want to see happen, want to see assets made available. So therefore, the, the legal structure is to build a special needs trust that will allow that person to have the asset base that will allow them to have the difference because community-based resources are simply not going to be enough. Maybe the best way to think of it is that there's three pillars to special needs planning. One is eligibility for community-based resources. Two is a well-funded special needs trust. The third is a selfless caregiver. The issue is that if I lose any one of those three pillars, the, the, it's fall. the well, it's the, str- it's the stress on the other two. Yes. That the trust must be much larger. Community-based resources must be far more important because we don't have that person. The selfless caregiver is not infinite. That's the issue. They will not live forever, which is what I truly need them to do for the person with challenges. So if indeed we can blend those three, but that's kind of the mindset behind it. And then the the legal structure has got to evolve with the changes in every couple of years, the rules themselves change. And when I first started in the business, you could not have any form of qualified funds, untaxed assets like 401ks, uh, IRAs, repension plans. Those could never go into a special needs trust because the special needs trust would then have to pay all the tax before it received them. 2009, I believe it was, and some of the SECURE Act language started to change the equation that said essentially special needs trusts could receive qualified funds. And then with the, uh, with the CARES Act, it also was enhanced to say that, simply that special needs trusts can receive qualified funds and have them paid out over a lifetime. Whereas for a, for a non-special uh, needs person, they have a 10-year payout on, on untaxed assets. So therefore, to be able to say that now the tool that we always stayed away from might be the most important tool, and equally so because they're untaxed. If I'm releasing taxable distributions at a time when I have a heavy amount of tax-deductible medical expenses and care costs, now I've got tax-free cash flow from the asset that mom and dad built that is going to be structured over a lifetime. The second solution we always used and continue to use is life insurance. Why? When insurance shows up at exactly the day of crisis on a guaranteed basis and pays to the trust without taxation, that's a huge event. And therefore, quite often family members, the idea that they could build a multi-million dollar trust and still retire and still take take care of their other children, still reti- do the things that they want to do. Very challenging. The idea say, could we budget a gift and an annual amount that could go into something that then could be multiplied, make it become a, a much larger dollar figure that comes And When is it that I need this money to show up? When I lose my caregivers. And so often, if I'm lucky enough to have a mom and a dad, two caregivers, we also use unique insurance that doesn't pay till the second one is gone. That lowers the dramatic, the cost of the insurance. And also it makes a giant difference in underwriting and the ability to get insurance. If one family member's got challenges in their health life, then the ability to say we could still find a way to create a lump sum solution that allows the most important thing that the caregivers to spend their capital on living and care and knowing that their estate will be replenished when they're gone. Yeah. 
I would imagine Kevin, that you know the few attorneys in the state who do do a good job <laughs> with these trusts. So you're a great resource for that if people well, need it. You have to work with the attorney. So an attorney, again, the village. You're going to be attorney. You're going to have somebody with tax understanding. You're going to have a person who understands special understands community-based resources. Having member people from the organizations that give great care, like I was describing the ASRC. You know, these are just great resources, and we've got to bring them all together and. and some sort of uh, magnified hold. That must make the family feel supported. Again, to say that there's a, a path, yeah. you know, and it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to have all the different solutions. But again, when you go from just an unknown and I'm just going to bed, I'm not going to think about this any longer to saying this is possible, yeah. not easy. And again, it's also looking deeply into the family members who can be successor, help, help with that, that, that equation of change. Yeah. You know? The last piece of the care plan is the family meeting. Talk about that. <laughs> I know when I have family meetings in my house, no one's smiling when I have them. They're difficult. Well, yeah. they start out with the first a basic premise. I've got a family member, a brother, sister, sibling who says they want to help. So in their hearts, they already have it. First recognition is that if they're new, married, gotten married, had the families, they made that promise 10 years ago and now their family life has changed. Can they still fulfill that responsibility? Then the next thing is what they need is information. They know they love their brother. They see what it is that their mom does, under, but they, they're not keeping track of the detail. So therefore, how is it we start cataloging what it is? Are you typically part of this meeting? Yes. Again, I initial, the initial ones, but quite often what I encourage them to do it on a regular basis and not have me as, as part of that stuff. So often the members of the family who might be interested in helping, they have questions and they'll have mom and dad can probably answer a few of them, but not to the complexity that might be necessary. Yeah. It's a big commitment to say that I'm going to help. And then what are the resources I need? What are the details? Is there a letter of intent in place? Is there a, a special needs trust? What is the funding mechanism for the special needs trust? Are they eligible for help right now from the community-based resources that I described? And then from there, it's also still, what is it that moms, dads, family members do on a daily basis that make a difference? And how can we continue those things? Yeah. You're already, a harsh reality so often is that for things that used to be done with uh, I personally did. I took you know, hands on. I have to think in terms of pain. I've got to pay somebody else to do this work. Yeah. And then quite often as part of the evolution of that planning structure as family members get older. And I can't tell you how many 70 and 80 year old parents I have were still at home doing everything. Yeah. And only they have a history of looking at agencies that have provided poor services in the past and they run from it. They yeah. will not, will not allow it. But then yes. they come to that reality check that I can't continue this forever. Yes. And what yeah, we can't have right. is that crisis moment yeah. when again, that person with challenge just now has to move out of the house that they've been in for their whole life and they thought they're going to stay because mom and dad are no longer there. Yep. Or something happens to the caregiver and now you're doing it while somebody's injured or, or trying to recuperate or in the hospital with an illness. That exactly. is all well, of this that, sounds. Well, it's the pressure on the caregiver. Yes. That if I'm taking I mean, care of my son and I'm taking care of my husband, that's eh, a lot of work. And yes. I didn't like thy husband that much to begin with. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Well, thank gosh for all the work that you and all the other special care planners at Barnum and out there in the world, because it seems like you give so much wonderful support to these families who desperately, desperately need it. 
Kevin, obviously everybody is a wealth of information. You can find him on barnoffinancialgroup.com. Please feel free to reach out to him with questions um, and he will certainly get back to you. Kevin, thank you so much for being on our show today and explaining what a life care plan looks like. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to Master Your Money. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Every little bit helps. You can also follow us on our Instagram at Barnum Financial Group. If you're interested in connecting or working with a financial advisor at the Barnum Financial Group, the links are in the show notes of this episode. All opinions expressed by the program participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions their respective parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the program participants are affiliated. Investments or strategies mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you, and you should make your own independent decision regarding them. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You should strongly consider seeking advice from your own investment advisor. Securities and investment advisory services offered through qualified registered representatives of MML Investor Services, LLC. Member SIPC, 6 Corporate Drive, Shelton, Connecticut, 06484, telephone number 203-513-6000.